thank you for the power of your spirit. Oh, I thank you for what you're doing right now. I thank you for the strength of God that comes to your people when we worship you and lift you up. Lord, I ask right now that you would touch your people with strength and rest. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we thank you for it, Lord, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. God's good, isn't he? Thank you for being in church tonight. We're glad that all of you here, all of our guests, I'll let you be seated. And just so you can make a note of it, I'll continue to stand up here for the next little while. So you enjoy yourselves. Be seated and get comfortable. Somebody said, Pastor, you're going to have to make it real exciting tonight or I'm going to go to sleep. That's the context for the dancing bears in the back. Now you know. I said, if I can't keep them awake, would just you dancing bears come across at, at at uh, strange times and wake everybody back up. Somebody suggested that we have Serpent Sunday. We throw serpents out into the sanctuary congregation. That'll keep you awake. That'll get you on your feet, too. That'll keep you on your feet. In fact, it may send you to your automobile, too. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's good to be in church tonight. Uh, we have a number of announcements. The ladies are invited to baby shower for Tabitha Dury on Thursday, November 7th. We mentioned that, but there's a couple of other things. The Sisters in Christ Fellowship is taking place this Saturday, and the details of that are in Breeze and on the bulletin board as you exit tonight. One more very important announcement uh, coming up this weekend. Daylight Savings Time ends this coming Saturday night at 2 a.m. Be sure and get up at exactly 2 a.m. and set your clock back. Or if you want to do it before you go to bed at 10 o'clock, then you're going to bed at 9 o'clock. I love that on daylight savings time when it ends. I love that when it, you know it's 11 o'clock, 11.30, and you just get to go dial the clock back. I wish at times we could just, you know, just change the clock and just dial it anywhere we wanted it. Oh, I'm not late for church. It's only 6.30. Amen. Somebody say amen. But we can't do that. This, this coming Saturday, dial your clock back an hour, fall back. Daylight savings time ends, and uh, you'll be sure and be on time for church Sunday. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Last week, we looked at a relationship that was very important it was the relationship of Joseph and his brothers. How many were here last week? And uh, God really spoke to us in a mighty way. Uh, and we talked about Joseph quite a bit. Uh, tonight we're going to look at another relationship to nail down this principle. Uh, but Joseph, in speaking of Joseph, who was carted off to Egypt and kind of left on his own for 20 years, and then all of a sudden the purpose of God sprung right back up where it seemed like it had left off. Uh, God had the right man with the right heart in the right place to do the right thing, amen, at the right moment. And we found out last week that Joseph, after all that was said and done, and his family and all the hard, terrible things that had happened to him, he said in the end, the Lord has brought this about to save much people. And if all your trouble does is make you bitter and mad and upset and, ter and uh, terror to the world and uh, a terror to your pets, if all it does is make you kick the dog, if your trouble just makes you a terror around the house and your kids don't want to come in the living room when you're in there, you're missing the point. There are things that happen in our lives, and Joseph rose to a higher place when he said everything that's happened in these many years was to save much people. And if it saves much people, then I don't think there's anything better that can happen in that. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's all about saving people. And uh, we've sung that song, Lord, whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. And when we go through situations, and I think sometimes the Lord just needs to come down and say, oh, wait, you said you want to be saved, didn't you? How many want to be saved? You want to hear the Lord say, well done, 
Today we had a wonderful service, Sister Frances Cripps, and uh, I, I come here tonight with more determination than ever to hear the Lord say, well done, because we're all going to, uh, if the Lord tarries, we're going to have the service for you and for me and for everybody else in here. Uh, hopefully, uh, you're still around uh, then. We'll have your service if you want it. I mean, nobody's planning their funeral service, but uh, maybe just I don't know how I got off in that, but... Uh, you know, it's, it's like getting out in a mud hole. You don't know how you got in it. Now you're not sure how you're going to get out of it. Uh, so bear with me. Uh, but last week, last week, our, our theme, our, our title was uh, Can God? Point, point. When I point, that, when I point, <laughs> can God? And we had this little exercise. Remember when we'd say, can God? You would say something about God can. we just flip it around. Can God, God can. And tonight we're going to look at a number of chapters. So we're not going to read chapters 16 through 31 of 1 Samuel. But this is where this story uh, comes from. It's about God being in control. Now when we started this a number of weeks ago, uh, dealing with things we go through, I mentioned in the very first, on the very first Wednesday night, that there's a difference between uh, what we think has been done to us uh, in, in a bad way or now, some people think they've been uh, taken advantage of. Others have actually uh, things have happened that that they're not just think they're not just making it up. Somebody say amen. And and then we last week we we investigated a subject uh, material that showed us somebody who wasn't just thinking somebody was out to get them and thinking somebody to you know was trying to take advantage of and thinking that they were trying to hurt them. Uh, Joseph actually was experiencing hurt from his brothers. Somebody say amen. And in these times, like Linnell said tonight, in these times when things happen that we don't understand, uh, we wonder if God really is in control. Uh, Sometimes we may fall toward the, the agnostic view of things that says, you know, God's, there is a God, and, but he's just kind of spun the world off uh, on its own, and he's just kind of watching everything, like Bette Midler many years ago saying, God is watching us from a distance, and everything looks blue and green. It's a beautiful world from a distance. He's not concerned about our everyday life. Here we are struggling with jobs and sickness and doctor's reports and kids and failing parents. And, but God's off somewhere out there just watching this blue and green planet spin around. Well, I, I believe God is, is involved in our lives. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Amen. Uh, can God protect us? Is he really in control? That's the, the question. And we also, last week, we looked at this Phrase, I want you to say it with me. If the devil could destroy us whenever he wanted, he would have wiped us out a long time ago. You know, if, if the devil uh, could have destroyed us, if he could destroy us, if he had the power to do that, he would do that. I mean, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's right. That's what he wants to do. Aren't you glad the Lord's kept his hand on you? Oh, yeah, because the Bible says that's why he's come, but he doesn't have the power to do that. God has, amen, he has protected us and kept us. Uh, So we're going to look tonight in 1 Samuel, and those chapters are 16 through 31. If you just want to jot that down, we're not going to read all those. Praise God, the dancing bears would have to come out by chapter 17. But let me just hit the highlights of this story. This story is about two men. One by the name of Saul, now this is Old Testament Saul, uh, King Saul, and the other one is David, Saul and David. Now Saul is tormented by an evil spirit because he's disobeyed God, and the only relief he gets is when music is played. Now that's interesting, I want you to... I want you to chew on that, do your own study on that, but um, uh, the therapeutic uh, nature of music is a real thing. And uh, this man, an evil spirit, tormented him so bad that, that the therapy that seemed to work was music. The relief he got was music. Music is a powerful thing. 
it's an emotional thing. It's connected to your emotions. I think it's very important that you uh, guard what kind of music you let into your emotions. And, and so Saul is tormented, and they, the only therapy that seems to be working this tormented mind by this evil spirit is music. And David is a musician, and he's asked to come and minister to the king in this way just to play music when he gets... When he's about to have a breakdown, you know, man, quick, get your, get your harp and get in here and start harping. Some of you didn't think harping was therapy. <laughs> Some of you don't realize how the Lord's trying to help you, you know. You got a harping husband or a harping wife or harping kids. Thank you, Lord, for this therapy. David, bring his harp and... Uh, he was a musician, and he would, he would play before the king. And, and uh, David had already been anointed by Samuel, and uh, he was anointed to be the king. And David must have been thinking at some point, wow, this is amazing how God's working. Saul, the king, is having a breakdown. And look, he, here I am right here in the, in the palace. Uh, God is bringing to pass all his promises. You know, I couldn't quite figure out how God was going to work all this out. But it looks like God, God's kind of uh, working this thing out. But time passes, and David is asked to bring his uh, refreshments to his older brothers uh, as they are in battle against the Philistines. And David encounters, you know the story, encounters. This is all in First uh, Samuel 16, uh, chapter 16, all the way through chapter 31. But David encounters a giant by the name of Goliath, and he hears this challenge. He's... He's been a man of the palace playing the harp before the king and, and now he's just obeying his dad and he, he walks out into the field and he hears the roar of this giant and David encounters Goliath and David went before the king to ask permission to fight Goliath and, and you know the story, he killed Goliath and, and when he killed Goliath he won the king's daughter for his wife. Wow, isn't God working things out? I'm the next anointed king, and not only do I kind of have an inside track because I'm the one that gave the king therapy, and now his daughter is my wife. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but after he kills Goliath and marries Saul's daughter, he's brought into the palace to live. This is where uh, David is requested by King Saul to eat at his table as one of his own sons. Wow, look how God, well, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. God said he was going to do this in my life, and you won't believe what he's doing, man. It's just doors are popping open. Yeah. This is where David and Jonathan make a covenant of everlasting friendship that lasts all the way to Jonathan's death. Uh, this is when this happens. David's eating at the king's table with his own sons. And the Bible says that Saul favored David over all his other servants. Wow. Frank, looks like things are looking up. Looks like God knows what he's doing. Because, it, frankly, it's working out the way we thought it should. I mean, this is the way we would do it. If, if, the, if I was going to be the next king, you know, I'd kind of get an in, inside path and, and things would kind of work out. I'd be favored. I'd, I'd be the up-and-comer. I'd, I'd, that's the way it should work. But something happened uh, very strategically. Uh, one particular day, everything changed. Everything changed. And it just happened to be with a song. Music. That song. It wasn't you ain't nothing but a hound dog. It wasn't don't step on my blue suede shoes. Surely. <laughs> Time for the dancing bears. Saul and David were returning from battle. David is the favored servant. He's as one of Saul's own sons. And they're returning back into the city. And the women are out to greet all the warriors. And they start singing. It's that terrible song. Saul has killed his thousands. But David. Mm, yeah. And. And something happened that day. Favored servant, 
therapy giver to the king, sitting at the king's table with his own sons, married to the king's daughter. All of a sudden, the Bible says Saul hated David because he knew that God was with him. When that began to happen, there were things that took place uh, that that were life-threatening, and Saul hated David to such a degree that David is forced to flee if he's going to live And he's anointed. He knows that God has called him. Uh, He has to run for his life. I'm sure if we asked David, he would say, why is this happening? Why is this going on? It was going so good. This must be the devil. Devil, I rebuke you. You're trying to stop what God's doing. God knows what he's doing. I'm sure he said, why is this? The Bible says Saul chases David with 3,000 of Israel's finest warriors. Now, this is like the Navy SEALs. This is like getting the Navy SEALs. The, <laughs> let's, well, let's just say the IRS. <laughs> the king gets the IRS and says, go after him. <laughs> wow. Anyway. FBI. Uh, uh, sent, well, I don't know if I should say this or not. I don't know if it's God or me. I think it's me. I think I'll stop. But I will say this. Israel's finest warriors were chasing David. These were the people God called David to be the king over. David could have said, really, these are, these are my soldiers. Ultimately, these are the ones God's called me to leave, and they're chasing me. Where is God's promise? What's God's do? What, what is God doing? He's asleep. He's, he's lost his way. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure if, if, if David had an MP3 player or, you know, uh, iPod, what do they call them? Uh, whatever these music, you know, here I am, the jam box. <laughs> you know what generation I came from. I don't know if David had a CD player, <laughs> iPod, what do they call them? iPhone, well, yeah, iPhone, yeah, it's on your, your phone got music on it, doesn't it? I'm not sure if he hit his little music app and said, you know, I want to listen to that Bette Midler song again. God is watching us from a distance. Yeah, he don't care about me. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. He wasn't there. He's not here with me now. These warriors are chasing me. Where's the promise of God? I want you to notice something. It was God, not the devil that placed David under the care of Saul. Was Saul an evil king? Did he die in, in, in shame? Absolutely. But it was God, not the devil, that put David in the palace with Saul. Why was the favor of God dangled before the eyes of David only to be abruptly just ripped out? And Saul now chasing David like a madman. Let me give an example. In, in this chase, David comes to a city called Nob, and he's running for his life. They, they help him. They give him, in fact, he goes to the temple, and the priests give him bread, and the Bible says that, that he, he, he gets some nourishment, and then he takes off running again. Saul shows up, realizes that these people have helped David. He kills 85 priests and destroys the entire city, puts the entire city of Nob to the sword. Yeah. Opportunity arose in the process of this running. David, <laughs> this is amazing. This, this is just amazing because you see God at work. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the process of him running for his life, uh, he, he hides and in the middle of the night, he, he miraculously, uh, a deep sleep has fallen upon Saul and his warriors. Down in the valley, the Bible tells us that David and Abishai slip into, the, in, into Saul's camp and the scripture says the Lord put a deep sleep on Saul and his warriors. I want you to, I want you to be very careful here. 
Because Abishai has a good reason to say to David, David, the Lord has put them in this sleep. These are the finest soldiers Israel has. They don't, they don't sleep while they're chasing a foe. They don't sleep when they're next to an enemy. God has done this. Look what the Lord has laid out before you, David. Now's your chance. Yeah. Saul had killed innocent priests and families in cold blood. He's got 300 warriors trying to kill David. And God had put the entire army into a deep sleep. And David and Abishai walked right up to Saul who's laying on the ground asleep. Here's the man causing all your trouble. He's just killed friends of yours in the city of Nob. All these reasons sound good. They make sense. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, oh, I feel a confirmation. Let's get our sword and let's hack these people to death. But look at 1 Samuel 26, verse 9. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth and the Lord shall smite him, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. Did you see that? David said, This is not my fight. If he's going to die, he's going to die because the Lord decrees it. The Lord smites him. The day's going to come or he's going to go into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I do. Anybody hearing this? The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand. Do you know that there are real times where you mess up? what God's doing when you stick your hand in it. Uh-oh. Oh, no, this is not God's will at all. Look here, he's laid them out here. Oh, this is the will of God. Uh, here's something interesting for you to notice. David, David, I've got it up here. No, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't. Wait. No, back out of that. Back out. Don't show them that. Don't show them that. Is that the only one? There's nothing between those two? Okay, that's, hope, that's all right. David left vengeance in the hands of the Lord. Somebody say amen. All right, now let's look at Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Hey, if the Bible says the Lord hates this, do you think you ought to kind of take it home and live with it? No is the answer. If the Lord hates it, do you think you ought to have it in your car? Think you ought to have it on your phone? No. Think you ought to have it on your Facebook page? No, if the Lord hates it, uh, you better stay away from it. That's the point. Okay, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, oh, seven, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. The Lord hates it. You know what? Everybody else kind of hates it too. <laughs> A proud look. A lying tongue. Lord hates that. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the Lord hates a lying tongue. Quit lying. He hates it. You know what else he hates? Hands that shed innocent blood. Think, think about uh, the babies that have been snatched out of the safety of a mother's womb. Think about innocent blood that's been shed. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. God hates a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. That's a lot of KJV language, but it just means somebody that thinks up wickedness, imagines things to do that are wicked. God hates it. God hates feet that are swift in running to mischief. Late to church, but early to the mischief. Uh-oh. That's some bad stuff. But that's not all. That's only verse 18. Let's go to verse 19. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. We were doing all right until the seventh. 
All those dirty, no good liars and mischievous people and lying tongues and people shedding innocent blood and proud and arrogant people and people imagining wickedness. And all. Oh, yeah, tell, tell it about them, Brother Gene. But when we get to number seven, huh, he that sows discord among brothers. You know what sowing is? You know what S-O-W-I-N-G is? You know what that is? What is it? Planting. Planting discord. It didn't say you're causing discord. You're just planting it. Just dropping the seed. Uh-oh. Oh, there wasn't nothing wrong with what I said. No, but if it was a seed of discord, God hates it. Somebody say amen. Discord, separating or damaging relationships. The sin of tail-bearing. <laughs> tail-bearing. Well, it's true. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. It doesn't say you're, you're bearing a true tale. It just says you're bearing a tale. You're just telling another tale. Is this, it, it's time for the dancing bears, isn't it? Uh, I, I want to say this in the right spirit, but I want to say I've heard good godly people tail bear during prayer request time. I'm only telling you this so you can pray about it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Everybody okay? Yeah. You know, tail bearing does three things. It affects three people. Three people. It injures the teller. Yep. Oh, I'm not sure it injures the teller. Oh, yeah. Because the person you're telling in their brain is going, you know what? This is not somebody I'm going to share anything with. While you're, while you're telling them because you're, they're your good friend, you know what they're saying is, I'm not ever going to share anything with this person. It injures you. It injures you. Because people realize you can't keep your mouth shut. Oh, Brother Gene, I saw things and things happened. I'm just going to... Well, absolutely. There's, th there's things you need, we need to address. And the Bible gives you a way to address it. The teller is injured. The hearer is injured. The person you told is injured. And you know who else is injured? The one the tale is about. All three of you is injured. And try this on for size. A threefold cord cannot be broken easily. So while you've injured yourself and injured the person you told and injured the person you told it about, that cord is not going to be broken easily. There's going to be things happen in that transaction that cannot be reversed without a miracle. Boy, it's getting real deep, isn't it? Uh, here we've got threefold damage. Everybody okay? All right, let's get back to our Bible study. That's tough stuff. Let's go on to the next thing. Can God? <laughs> God can. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about this uh, protecting ourselves and, and, and you know, well, I, I just need to tell somebody and, and treating brothers in certain ways. And, and, well, Saul's laying there, you know, he's terrible and he's had a nervous breakdown. Oh, did you know he's had a, did you know he was going to therapy? Did you know Saul was in therapy? Did you know he threw a javelin at me? I don't find David ever telling this stuff. I hear him taking it to the Lord. But God can. Now back to this fateful night, David has a chance to kill Saul and God placed this army in a deep sleep. Now let me ask you, what would have happened had David allowed his servant to kill Saul? We're kind of back to last week. What happens if Joseph kills <laughs> 10 brothers when they come to Egypt? He wipes out the entire seed of or at least 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, what happens if David on this fateful night this is his brethren, and the Bible tells us that he kills Saul. What happens? What happens if he kills Saul? Well, you know, Saul is the king, right? 
Right. And a king means you have a kingdom authority, right? So David, in essence, is saying, I'm fixing to take the kingdom now because I'm going to take the king. Yeah. I think this is up there. Let's see. God wanted to see whether David would kill to establish his kingdom or allow God to establish his kingdom. You know what I've noticed about people that destroy people with their tongue? They're trying to establish their own kingdom. And you want to take somebody down so that you can replace them. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. So let's be careful about that. God wanted to see if David was going to move to action to defend himself to such a degree that he would take the kingdom and not allow God to establish him. But David said, oh no, no, if God's going to ta- if he's going to go out, God's going to take him out. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. That word is anger. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. These are two things in the scripture that are said to be God's. Vengeance is God's. Do you know what the other one is? He says it's mine. The tithe. Oh boy, start talking about money and we need the dancing bears to come out. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, what do you do? Feed him. If he thirst. Give him the drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, folks. It is righteous for God to avenge his servants. It is unrighteous for God's servants to avenge themselves. I don't know what's happened to you. I may not know the whole story. But it is righteous for God to defend you. It is righteous for God to avenge you. It is righteous for God to equal the score. And He will do it. Oh, yes, He is. He said, vengeance is mine. I don't know what kind of heartache somebody put you through. But I want to tell you, God is righteous to avenge His servants. He's not going to let the guilty walk on by. But it is unrighteous for me to take that into my hands. Oh yeah, I'm not going to touch the stuff that's God's. So God tests His servants with obedience. He deliberately places us, listen, He places us in situations where the standards of religion and society would appear to justify our actions. Saul asleep. I can kill him now. God's done it and uh, everybody knows he's crazy. And it is the way of the world's wisdom. It's earthly and it's fleshly. But I'm not going to touch what's God's. That's his. Well, Somebody did me wrong. That, yeah, maybe so. and uh, Truthfully so. And you know what? The score equaler is, <laughs> the score equalizer is not you or me. It is God. Well, I'm just going to ignore them. I'm not. I'm just going to ignore them. I'm not. I, no, the Bible says if they're hungry, invite them to the church dinner. If they're thirsty, if there's a boil order, take them a case of water. Wow. I want to tell you, church is not a cafeteria. You ever been to a good cafeteria? Boy, when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm thinking if I should tell this story too. I would not recommend this. <laughs> By telling this, I am in no way recommending it. <laughs> but there's a certain family that I know. <laughs> somewhere in the universe that one of the one of the one of the spouses families was all going to a certain cafeteria on a sunday 
And somebody wanted to go really bad. And the other spouse said, no, we're not going there. We're going home. We're going to take a nap. And the other family member said, I think one Sunday we could go to the cafeteria with my brothers and sisters. And the other one said, you're starting to say, well, he knows a lot about this story. (laughs) No, we're going home. And the other spouse says, well, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, stop the car. I'm getting out. And right there down from the church, the car pulled over. This said person gets out, gets the kids out. Another family member drives off. And there's the family standing on the side of the road. Piccadilly calls that. Piccadilly. Anybody ever been to Piccadilly? Uh, you know what a Piccadilly is? You could get the dilly plate. The dilly plate is a meat and three vegetables. It's so good to have Christina here. She's right here on the front row, and she's, she's sitting by Blake, her good friend. <laughs> Christina moved up here from Sulphur, Louisiana. My goodness. Got another gumbo maker in the church. And uh, she probably has heard of Piccadilly. Piccadilly. Yeah, I mean, you could walk down that aisle. You could get every color of jello you can imagine. And then all kind of salads, pea salad, bean salad, potato salad, macaroni salad. Some kind of salad. You didn't know what kind of salad it was. Green salad, yellow salad, blue salad, pink salad. And then you got down to the meat. There was roast beef. There was chicken. There was fish. There was uh, all kind of stuff. And all kind of veggies. And then desserts. Just cafeteria. Just go pick and choose. Church is not a cafeteria. You know, in this day and age, people think it is. Well, you know, this church has good jello and good roast beef and some good uh, carrot cake. But I don't like their bean salad. <laughs> and so you go through line, you just pick out and choose. Well, well, I like Wednesday night. And I, well, I like Sunday morning. And I, like, I, don't, I don't mess around with that. And I have to pick this. And I, this is what I like. And you know, church is not like that. A church, no church is perfect. But I would say every church is desperately trying to follow the voice of the Lord and the will of God. I don't think there's one church that's that's wanting to serve the devil. I don't care what kind of church it is in this town. I would say every church in this town is trying to follow the Lord. Including this one. Now I want to tell you something. The list is endless of offenses that can happen in churches. And let's face it. Jesus was the only perfect pastor. Oh, yes, he was. And he wouldn't even have been at the funeral today. He said, oh, let the dead bury the dead. I got stuff to do. Jared, you okay? (laughs) I'm glad to know that. (laughs) Got to go put my house out. It's on fire. Lord, it's getting bad tonight. (laughs) Jesus picked his seat out in the church, and you know where it was? It was beside the offering bag. And all the big givers came by, and he watched them. He watched, I don't know if you've ever, you know, I stand up here, and I try not to watch you, because I know it feels kind of weird for the pastor to be standing there looking at you, and, and I try to look away till you get by, and then I shake your hand. Jesus, watch. Oh, wait, what are you putting in there? Oh, okay. And the lady walked by and dropped one mite. And he stopped the, whole, he stopped the offering. He said, oh, 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 wait. I want to tell you, she just gave the most that was given in this offering. Oh, you don't do that. You don't tell people who's the biggest giver. Jesus did. What would happen if I came on a Wednesday night and said, okay, we're going to put everybody's tithing report up on the screen. Yeah, some of you'd wonder how that person has that boat and that nice house and that car if that's how much they make every year. Oh, oh, pour it on, Pastor. But I don't want a pastor like now. Jesus would. He'd say, "Oh no, I want you to know who the biggest giver is here. I'm going to release the giving statement. 
<laughs> Churches are a good place to get offended, aren't they? Amen. Church is a good place to get offended. In fact, I don't think I've ever met an alcoholic say, I ain't going back to that bar. They offended me. <laughs> no. I've never heard somebody out on the dance floor, I ain't coming back to this bar. They're hypocrites here. What? No, uh-uh, not on your life. But at church, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, God throws us all in here together like David and Saul. And sometimes, you know, well, I'm, I'm just going to knock him out. And I'm going to get him out of the way. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to teach him a thing. You know, church is a place where people sometimes do this wicked dance where they, it's like they're not on the same side. Now, I'm not preaching about this church. This is all those other churches. This is a great church. There's good people here. Amen. So, so let me go on. Let me, let me go to, to, to uh, let me go to First Corinthians twelve eighteen. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. I want you to know that you're here in this church because it pleases God, and He puts you here not because it pleases you, but because He pleases Him. I'm glad to be in a church where it pleases God that I'm at. Amen. And if you are in, in the place God wants you, the devil's going to try to uproot you. He's going to try to get you to budge. He's going to try to get you offended. He's going to try to get you mad. He's going to try to create a bunch of conflict. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? And you and I have the power to spoil the plans of the devil. By saying, oh no, I'm not going to touch the stuff that's God's. If somebody's being offensive, if somebody's acting wrong, somebody doing, God's going to, hey, God, God is going to take care of that. Psalms 92, 13. Sorry, I didn't point. Psalms 92, 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Listen, you'll never get anything out of church if you're just laying, <laughs> laying in it. That sounded, that sounded, my Lord, thank you, Jesus. I'm trying to hurry. The only way to flourish in a church is to be planted in it. Be planted in it. This is why when people come and say, oh, pastor, this is, you know, if they get saved here and they, it just seems like they plant, you know, they, this is where I got saved, this is where I found the Lord, this is where I got baptized. But then, you know, there are people for all kind of reasons that, that well, pastor, this is where I want to go to church and this is, I want to, I want to be in this house of worship and I, I, I want to, this is, you know, God's called us here and that's fine. But you have to be planted there if you're going to flourish. What happens if you if if a plant if in a plant if you transplant it every three weeks? The plant will die of shock. When a tree is put in the ground, it has to face rainstorms, hot sun, and wind, and it is through the endurance of the test. <laughs> That makes the roots go deeper and deeper. Well, I'm not sure what's going on. I think I'll move to Alaska. No, it's, it's in that test that the roots go deeper. That you're getting something out of it that you may not be aware of. <laughs> Somebody clap your hands under the Lord. Amen. And I hurry. David, inspired by the Holy Ghost, made a powerful connection between offense and the law of God and our spiritual growth. Look at this. David made a powerful connection in the Word of God between offenses, the laws of God, and our spiritual growth. You know where you find all that? Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3. Look at this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth, brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want. That's the kind of life I want. What I want to have fruit. I want my leaf to not wither in the dry times. And whatever we put our hand to, I want it to prosper. So I'm going to be planted by the rivers of water. I'm in the church and I ain't moving. Devil, you're not going to get... I'm, I'm in the church and I'm not, I'm not bailing out. I, I'm not picking and choosing. I'm in the church and I'm staying. Anybody feel that way tonight? Oh, give the Lord a good hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I hurry. You know as well as I do, if you look long enough, you'll... Hey, man, you, you find what you're looking for. I remember <laughs> I was driving a Dodge Colt, really a tin can with four wheels, we had our twin daughters, they were born, and I, I need a little bigger vehicle. And I started looking at a particular vehicle, and I thought, man, that is a nice vehicle. I wish I could find one of them. And you know what is the strangest thing? For the next three or four months, do you know the only vehicle I saw on the highway? It was that. I, I saw it everywhere. I didn't know everybody had that vehicle. I thought, man, I'm fixing to get me a vehicle nobody has. And then I started, man, everybody's got that vehicle. I'd see it in all kind of colors. You know what? You'll, you'll find what you're looking for. If you're looking for hypocrites, you'll find them. You, they'll probably let you join the club for that matter. If you're looking for faults, you'll find them. But if you're looking for blessings and you're looking for peace, and you're looking for help, and you're looking for bread, you'll find that too. <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. I like Psalms 119.65. Come on, Sister Sherry. Psalms, uh, Psalms 119.65. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing, nothing, nothing shall offend them. Man. Wow. I know we're about as close as any church can get, but I, <laughs> I wish there was a church full of people that nothing could offend them. That's a tall order. I said nothing could offend them. Nothing. And you know how you get that nothing offends me? I love God's law. I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. That gives me peace. Somebody says something, does something, acts a certain way. Lord, I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to let that offend me. Because I love your law. I love you more than retaliation, more than, more than defending myself, more than stating my case. I, Lord, I, I love you more than that. And you know what? There's peace there. There's peace there. Now we gain, now we gain insight in Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower. Psalms 119 says, Great peace have they that love thy law, nothing shall offend them. Let's look at Mark 4. Jesus said it this way, verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown, the seed is sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Uh-oh, there's a lot of us that receive it that way. And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. They gladly receive the word. They love the preaching, but it doesn't take root. I want to be honest with you. I, it's not happened a lot, but there, there are times where I wondered... I, I wondered, I thought, did they hear what the preacher said Sunday? Sunday. Not, not a month ago, not, not five years ago, just, just two days ago. These are they that are sown on the stony ground, and when they've heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. But they don't let it take root. So, guess what it does? It endures but for a time. Afterward, 
because it's coming. Affliction, persecution, the wind, and the storm is coming. And why is it coming? Why is it coming? For the word's sake. Immediately they are offended. Wow. Be careful, folks, that when God gives you a word, (laughs) God drops something in your spirit like David and says, you're going to be the next king. And then all the devil comes up in your life and it looks like everything's going haywire. Be careful against the spirit of offense. They didn't treat me right. They didn't say this. They didn't say, yeah, be careful. Because I'm not saying you don't love the word. But if you don't let it get down in your spirit, (laughs) affliction's coming. And if that word's not in you, it's not going to be two or three weeks you'll get offended. No, immediately you'll be offended. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Is God in control? Can God? God can. He can take care of me. He can take care of you. I don't know. Well, I do know. (laughs) I do know what some of you are going through to some degree. I want to tell you, God knows what He's doing. We're just going to trust the Lord with it. I said we're just going to trust the Lord with it. Financial situations, job situations, we say, well, I don't know what's going on. Hey, we're going to trust the Lord with it. The Lord knows what He's doing. I'm not going to get offended. God's going to take care of me. Anybody feel that right now? Come on, I want you to stand right now. And I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to trust you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Help me to trust you with all my heart. And in all my ways, acknowledge you. Trust in the Lord with all that heart. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him. And He shall direct thy path. Come on, God knows what He's... Come on, David. God hadn't forgotten what He told you. God hadn't forgotten the anointing oil. God has not forgotten what He called you to do. He has not... He didn't put those gifts in you and now He's just wrote you off. No. He's he's still in control. Yes, He is. Praise God. (laughs) I want somebody right now, you're going through a situation, you say, I just need to trust God with it. And there's times I'm challenged to do that. There's times I... I want to say, God, what are you doing? I want you to step out right now. Just come up here with me. Come on. It may not be all of you, but some of you may be dealing with something that you just got to really trust God with right now. Right now. It may not be the next month, but right now you just got to really trust God with it. Come on, right now. All down to the front. Come on, quickly. Quickly. Lord, we're trusting you. Husband, wife, come on. Come on. Sir, come on. Yes, I'm just trusting you with it. I don't know what it is, but God knows and you know. Come on. It's a sweet thing to trust in Jesus. Now I want some of the saints of God to come up behind these good people. Come on right now. Lord, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna accuse you falsely. I'm not gonna get offended when the adversity comes, when the when the test, when the winds of life blow. I'm gonna let the word take root in my life. I'm gonna leave it in your hands, God. I'm gonna trust you with it. I'm gonna trust you with it. Come on right now. Come on, let's spend the time praying right now for these that are here. Thank you, Jesus.